the Empty Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo. Joining me today are members of Team Canada, hoping to bring home the gold from the now postponed Tokyo 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. On the panel, we have Madison Wilson-Walker representing the Pair Athletics team. She has competed at the 2015 World Championships 400 meters and long jump at the 2019 Pair Panam Games in Peru. Next, we have Jolan Wong representing the women's sitting volleyball team. She was a member of Team Canada at the 2010 and 2018 World Championships. She took home the bronze at the 2015 Pair Pan Am Games here in Toronto, with her team earning them a spot in the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio. And then earlier this year, earning the final berth for the women's sitting volleyball team for Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. Also representing the Paralympics team, we have Jan Stein. Jan started training in athletics in 2014, and in 2015 has ranked in the top 20 in the 100-meter long jump. In 2016, he broke the Canadian T-64 long jump record at the National Championships with the 6'10-meter leap. Jens is hoping to retire after the Tokyo Games this year, but now has put his retirement on hold. And last but not least, from the men's sitting volleyball team, we have Derek Semenowicz. Derek and the men's sitting volleyball team took the bronze at the 2019 Pierre Panam Games in Peru. And just when this pandemic hit, the men's sitting volleyball team was just about to defend themselves to earn the final berth for the Tokyo 2020 as well. So welcome to the show, everybody. I'm excited that y'all can join me today. So before we get into the discussions, how Tokyo has been postponed, can you share with our listeners a little bit about you? And let's start with Madison. And then we'll go around Joel and Derek at Jans. Uh, so hi, everyone. My name is Madison. I'm 23 years old, and I'm from London, Ontario. And like you said earlier, I to world championships in 2015 and I went in 2019 and also the Parapanian games and I used to be more of like a long sprinter middle distance runner but now I've switched over to jumps and sprint. Awesome. Derek did you want to go next? Sure. Uh, my name is Derek Simonowitz. I play for Team Canada City Volleyball Team. I started playing in 2012 um, shortly after an accident and I uh, since then, I've also started training uh, wheelchair basketball. I've also done cross-country skiing, sit skiing, actually. And I've also done a little bit of track and field, just trying to get my birth to the Paralympics at this point. Great, great. And Jolyn. Hey, guys. I'm the libero for the National Women's Sitting Volleyball Team. I've been playing the sport for 12 years now. When I'm not playing volleyball, I have two kids, and I homeschool them. Um, and I also help my husband run a nano brewery in Pembroke, Ontario. Wow. <laughs> that, that sounds great. And I think we have Jens back online with us. Jens, you Yeah, there? I'm good. Yeah, we're good now. Good. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hey, my name is Jan Stein. I'm a para-athlete for Team Canada. Long jump, 100 meter. Been training track for about seven season now. Yeah, Canadian record holder. Came from MMA. I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt. Still keep pretty active with that. Lost my leg and and, uh, here I am sprinting now, still trying jujitsu. Wow, that's awesome. That's that's awesome, you guys. Thanks for that introduction. Let's go back to March earlier this year when the pandemic has really hit home for many of us. I myself was en route to Florida with the throwing team, hoping to get classification in Arizona after that. And then obviously that all went out the window. It was literally two days before my flight to Florida that we were canceled. And then, like, see ya, bye-bye, no competitions this year, no, no classification whatsoever. I think we all had hopes that this pandemic was going to be short-lived and that Tokyo will happen until that late day in, or, you know, sometime late March when the IC family announced that Tokyo wasn't going to happen anymore until 2021. So let's get into it. So, Jens, I'll start with you. With the retirement in mind after the Games, what went through your mind when it has finally announced it has been postponed? Yeah, there, there was a lot of plan for me. To retire, I uh, kind of talked to coaches about it, and I don't want to use the word retirement. I would still keep active with track and field. I'd still train. I'm a master athlete now, so I'm an old man, so I can still do that. I can. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to do at this level much. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just time. You know, uh, I got a lot of unfinished stuff in jujitsu that I kind of left in the back burner, so to say. So. There's a lot of plans. I'm, a, I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm a business owner. So I own a couple of businesses, one for 18 years and one for four now. Mm-hmm. And 
my biggest goal was to open my own sports performance um, and jiu-jitsu gym. So that is on hold now too. So it was just like a domino effect of everything. Um, right. Like I said, I'm 39. I'm not getting any younger. So I do have, you know, full-time job. I push myself to the limits every day. And I was kind of looking forward to the little retirement of not competing at this level. But my stubbornness and will to win and, you know, I, I can't hang it up like this now, right? So right. I'm going to go for it for one more year, push my body to the limits. And, you know, some days I feel like I'm 20. Some days I feel like I'm my age, you know. So we'll see right. what happens. I'm just kind of hoping that I don't hit that peak, you know, or that 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 wall that I can't get over, you know, <laughs> right. due to my age. It's, you know, it's common right. sense, right? But it's it, it's really weird. You know, I, I can still move like a 20-year-old, right? I can do more than, you know, I, I, I'm a two-time national champion in Masters able-bodied long jump, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm still doing pretty good. I'm not, I don't think I've hit my peak yet, or I don't think I've hit, you know, I don't think I've got to the top of the wall yet, you mm-hmm. know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So kind of just, it was a domino effect at the end of the day. Right. Um, you know, a lot of mental stuff goes through my head, especially right now. Like I'm on the track still nonstop knowing that there's no competitions happening. Um, I kind of took a little group under my wings right now just to keep everyone motivated. I was doing Zoom workouts uh, for like the, the little kids because I still coach kids jujitsu. I still, I, I coach a four and five-year-old kids jujitsu after, right. you know, so I still keep active in track and field. And I still will, right? It's just, it's, it's a little bit hard. You know, I think it's for everyone. It's hard to keep that motivation going knowing that, you know, our first competition now is probably not until December and I'm a huge competition guy. That's what I love. Right. I'm a right. fighter. You know, I, I love competition. I could compete every week if, if I had that opportunity to, right? So yeah, that, that hurts a lot, right? But you know what? I got to get over it. I got to get, you know, keep going, stay in shape mm-hmm. on the track. And yeah. Awesome. And Madison, what did you, when you heard the news, what was that like? Because I know you were training and preparing for <laughs> Tokyo as well. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of the same as Jan said. It was a domino effect of a bunch of things. Um, I was competing indoors um, at the time, and I had a couple more indoor meets I was supposed to do, but then those were canceled. And then my school got put online, and I've never done online school before, so that was something I had to adjust to as well, being in my fourth year of university. And Mm -hmm. then with the outdoor season being canceled and – the outdoor season is where us para-athletes thrive the most because there's really not much for us during the indoor season that counts towards like the international standing right. stuff, right? So right. to have that whole season wiped out was it's kind of devastating when you first heard about it and having a couple of trips planned that I had to have canceled later on, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow, but once... I got my head around that this was the best decision for everyone. Everyone's in the same boat and mm-hmm. it's the safest thing to do for everyone around the world. Then it was a lot easier to come by. Right. And Derek, is that similar for you as well? Or, I mean, cause you guys were just about to leave for. Yeah. yeah for myself. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. For myself. Uh, I was in, I was in Germany when uh, this all started. Um, I was playing wheelchair basketball professionally in Germany uh, last season and um we were our season had just finished and we were just about to start playoffs and we were supposed to actually have a, a qualifying tournament you know just as this was starting in march right. we were supposed to have a qualifying tournament in oklahoma and uh, i remember it was like thursday and i was supposed to go to leave on my flight on friday from right. from germany to to oklahoma and steph woke me up and and she told me that the u.s is closing the borders with with Italy. And I was like, that's shocking. I wasn't really expecting that move. And uh, at that point we started kind of thinking of whether I should get on a flight to go to Oklahoma or not. Cause you know, I, I started feeling about, you know, going down there and having to get quarantined for a couple of weeks. And then if I were to come back after having to get quarantined for another two weeks, like was the better choice to just go home to get on mm-hmm. a flight to try to figure all this stuff out. It was quite stressful because we only had our apartment till the 30th of March. And, uh, is all going down and yeah so we decided that i wasn't going to go on the, on the plane i wasn't going to go to oklahoma a couple of days after that we found out that the tournament got canceled uh there were teams that already had gone to uh to oklahoma at the stage i know that germany was one of the teams that had gone there it was already there 
and we're ready. And I believe it was Kazakhstan was another team that was already down in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I decided not to go to that tournament. And at that point, just um, my main focus was trying to come back home, trying to come back to Toronto. So I went online and, and booked my ticket for that Sunday. You know, Steph booked her ticket for a Saturday. And, you know, then on the Friday, tried to, to book, um, to check in online. And I uh, wasn't able to check in. And, and without getting any sort of notification, uh, after doing some hunting, found out that the Turkey had closed its uh, borders with Germany. Wow. And so she couldn't go through Istanbul to get back to Toronto. So that flight just got canceled without any notice or anything. So then she's now scrambling. And then, like, luckily, she was able to get back on the flight that I was coming home on the next day. And, uh, yeah, we came back. That was, that was mid-March. We're, you know, living in Toronto now and mm-hmm. been training, training as much as I can, you know, doing doing home workouts. I don't really have a, a full gym at home like I did uh, when I was, was training out in Germany and at CSIO and, and T-Pass. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we make do with what I had. I, I had an old stationary bike at my parents' house, so I brought it over here and I use that when I can. And I have mm-hmm. uh, a hand bike that I use as well and got that out of storage. I think I haven't used that for probably the better part of like at least five years. So, you know, got that out of storage and, and started riding yeah. that around. But, you know, just making the best out of it, trying to buy the right. time and, you know, not knowing when this is all gonna, gonna not go away, but um, stabilize, I think is the best right. way to put it. Not knowing when this is all gonna stabilize and we're gonna start some level of training and some level of competition is the most difficult part because right now we're just in limbo. We're, we're being told that we have a uh, this qualifying tournament in March, but as if right now there's no date, there's no hosting country, there's nothing. So, right. um, you know, we're just kind of in limbo and then waiting. And, for me, I'm just at home and, and training as much as I can to make sure that when this all lifts and, and we get back to whatever our new normal is, that I'm, I'm right. ready to compete. And Jolan, I can't imagine what was going through your mind because you literally just, I think two weeks before that, you guys were celebrating qualifying for Tokyo and pictures are everywhere. All of you guys getting on and it's like, yes, we're doing this. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, Tokyo's not happening anymore. So what can you share with us that went down with the team and yourself? when you guys heard that? Because again, you were just celebrating about going to Tokyo. Right. So initially when um, Canada announced that we weren't um, sending a team before the Paralympics had actually been postponed, it was kind of heartbreaking because we were still on that high that Mm -hmm. we we just qualified. Mm -hmm. And then once we found out that the games were actually postponed, it was you know, we kind of flipped our perspective and um, realized we have another year to train as a team and to better ourselves. And as far as being a team sport, it's been tricky, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. um, training individually and especially like with sitting volleyball, like training in the grass and right. trying to find spaces to play. But I'm lucky, lucky I have a gym in my basement. So that part of um, training has been going fine for me. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's been an adjustment for sure. Right. No, M- Madison and Jans, you guys can train individually. So, what are you doing right now? You've talked about being on a track. Are there things that you sort of do or had started doing since you you can train alone? Um. So recently, my team on the university, we have been able to meet up in groups of up to ten people, and we have less than that. We're able to socially distance because right now we are training at Gibbons Park, which is right near the university. It's super open. Like there's lots of space. Um, You're not going to run into anyone. So it's been nice having that sort of team aspect still um, because this first came about and we couldn't meet up in groups. Then there's definitely days where I felt really unmotivated because I was completely on my own. It wasn't something that I was particularly used to. So not having my teammates around was really hard. But now that I do have that, it's definitely something I'm not going to take for granted. Um, mm-hmm. in the future, if we had to do a second lockdown or something, it was rough at some points, but it's getting somewhat back to normal now. So that's good. And Jens, for yourself? Well, I didn't tell everyone. I'm from Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm sorry for that. But <laughs> so no. being from Saskatchewan, I like, honestly, there hasn't been really much of a change. There's a million people that live in this province. So, I mean, <laughs> we're so secluded anyway. So it's easy to social distance because we do it naturally, right? So mm-hmm. to me, like, I, you know, I live out of town and there's 
it's kind of weird. I have a lot of land. I have a quarter section or I have a quarter section available to me to play on. Right. But, you know, as long as we're keeping our social distance, there is me and a little group of people that were training. We were just using a field and the track actually didn't open until probably about uh, three weeks to a month, about a month now it's been open. So Again, like, I mean, the track is quiet anyways at a normal year. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it honestly, it's, you know, I'm very privileged to be, to live. I love Regina. I love Saskatchewan. Um, you know, I love, I, I, people, right? I, I, I mm-hmm. cr- crowds and stuff. I'm, I'm a small town, small city kind of person. So there hasn't been like with training, I mean, and winter, right? So, we, we, they shut everything down on the 15th of March and, and, you know, it's still winter, so we couldn't use the indoor facilities. So you kind of just had to figure it out yourself, you know, for a month and a half. Uh, but as soon as it started getting nice outside, it was just straight outside with a little right. small group of people. I'm a pretty independent athlete anyways. So I, you know, I, I get motivated from other people working out and training with other people. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just like fighting. I always relate everything to fighting because it's been my life. Wrestling has been my life. Um, track has been here for seven years. You know, jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and fighting have been here for my whole life. So I relate everything to that. But it's like, you know, even though I have a team, I train with a team, we push each other. At the end of the day, it's you on that start line. It's you in that long jump pit. That's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I look at it as kind of that way as a competitor. So that way, if I make a mistake there's no one else to blame but me you know i'm not a good excuse guy i screw up do better you know figure out your own mistakes and work from there so again like yeah i mean it's it's just that little transition between winter and 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 spring here kind of Mm -hmm. put damper on training but again like i have mats i have gym you know i have a girlfriend that's a that's a jiu-jitsu chick so you know so it's easy to it was kind of easy for me it's just not having competition that drives me insane right right you yeah know? for that for that athlete and competitor in you yeah, and now yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and now for Derek and Jolin you guys train in a team like you have an actual team that needs to be able to look at each other and communicate with one another into how you're going to do a play so how did you adjust to all of this being alone at home or, or whatever it may be that you need to be training or you're doing your training I'll go first Derek sure <laughs> please go ahead <laughs> <laughs> um We've been, our coach has been giving us like weekly assignments to do. Um, So some of it has been just watching video of our team or of our opponents or of ourselves. But when it comes to actually team play and such, obviously there's not much. I mean, we're from all across the country. Like we can't, we can't get together anyway. So it's been really just fine tuning our individual skills and working all ball control um, and sending in videos to our coaches and kind of getting one-on-one coach it, coaching from there. And Derek? My, uh, yeah, my, my experience has been pretty much very similar. So uh, although we do play a team sport, we have athletes from across Canada, just like uh, Jolanda does as well. And so usually, even when we are training, when we're not competing <clears throat> or not at a training camp, where we're at home, we're training alone anyway, more um, with small groups of people. So it, it's not... A huge change. Um, although we can't go and get on a court and and work on like skills such as serving or or attacking, mm-hmm. there is things that we can work on. Um, you know, like there's a lot of ball control stuff, and you know, I find that there's been times where I've been unmotivated to to do some stuff, and you know, just go on Instagram and check out some some people's feeds. And uh, Joanne's actually been somebody that's that's uh, inspired me to. To do a little more sometimes you know I've, I've definitely been laying on my couch some days and <laughs> scrolling instagram and see joanne's work and i'm like all right well i should go and, and do something real quick before you know before the end of the day but uh yeah that's pretty much been it just a lot of individual stuff i end up building some contraptions so i have stuff to play with uh, i built like a board so i can just play pepper pretty much against that so it's just like bump set spike against the board it comes back to me and i do it again um mm-hmm. you're just like sitting in my basement on the floor and just volleying to myself, bumping to myself, using the wall where I can, and just making the best of the situation at the time. Right. So that when, you know, when we do get together, my skills are as honed as possible. And, you know, I'm hoping that my teammates are doing the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, I can only control myself, right? I, I do what I can right. do. And I'm hoping that my teammates uh, do their part so that when we come together, 
we're as strong as we can be. Right. No, that's that sounds great. I mean, you guys are making do of whatever you've got, and that's that's awesome. I myself, to be honest, kind of fell off the wagon as soon as all of this COVID thing hit. Even the solar runs that I do for myself, it's just not the same. Not running in a group or not running in an actual race to be doing to be doing those things, and then with throwing, that went out the window. And then even to go to a park in where in my neighborhood, I'm not even allowed to do that. Where do I throw safely? Where I don't hit any cars or hit anybody with a discus <laughs> or shot put, you know. <laughs> so it's like, great, I can do this in my backyard. Probably not. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna hit a whole bunch of cars parked in the in the driveway. So <laughs> it was hard, definitely hard to find the motivation to do that. But I'm I'm slowly getting back into this now and 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 realizing that you know what I need to dust off the dust off the shoulders and kind of get the cobwebs out of the joints and just kind of start moving again. So now. If we weren't on a lockdown, for Madison and Jens, do you guys have competitions leading up to that? I know, Madison, you talked about you had all these plans and trips that you need to go to. Were those still all leading up to Tokyo or you already qualified for Tokyo, but you're just doing those competitions sort of leading up to the games? So, yeah, so we had all those competitions and our team kind of takes all those into consideration. Um, They look at when we had our last injury, if we've PB'd or not that year, um, if we've improved at all. Um, They take Mm -hmm. a lot of things into consideration. It's not just one meet said and done. So, yeah, I don't know if if Jans has more to speak on that. Um, That's just kind of how... Yeah, a lot of of us is, uh, like Maddie said, related to outdoor uh, performance. Um, I know I, I, I... I think there was a couple things, Maddie, maybe correct me on this. I think there was a couple of events that we could have got qualifier for at, at indoor level. And I believe one of them was high jump and long jump. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I, I like, I use indoor as practice and then outdoor indoors, not for us. Indoor is not an Olympic event. Outdoor is the Paralympic mm-hmm. event. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So like, her and I, like, I do a lot of camps. I was in Grenada with the, with the camp, with the uh, able-bodied sprinters and jumpers. Um, and we do camps. We do lots of competitions. But we do have to compete at a national championship, which was the end of June. And a lot of the qualifiers, you know, based around what Maddie said, you know, what injuries. Um, and then kind of where you're ranked in the country and ranked in the world. Um, so they like to see a gold medal around your neck at a national championship. And then to the top eight in long jump. And I was number six, I think at that time when COVID hit for long jump hundred, I kind of, if I make the team for a hundred, it's almost like a bonus for me. Um, I love long jump and that's what I mostly do now. Uh, I do run the odd hundred or 200 local, but so that's kind of how how the, the para track and field works, I guess. So yeah, mm-hmm. we did have to have some sort of outdoor qualifier. So mm-hmm. it gets a little bit more technical than that, but that's kind of the scheme of things. Um, it goes by like a system point. You know, there's a lot of a lot of criteria that follows, but basically, national championships is one of our biggest events. Right. So was the list already announced for you guys in track and field when COVID hit or not yet? No. We, when we find out um, teams for international events, it's usually not until like a month or so before we would be leaving for that event. Mm. Um, we probably wouldn't have found out who made the team until nationals or slightly after nationals. So, Right. And that's certainly very interesting in, the, in competing that way. And Joel and Derek, with you guys, you compete as a team and then you compete with these other teams that you get put against. How does that work in, in a team environment? Uh, can I go first this time, if you don't mind? Sure, right, yeah, go, go ahead. I think that uh, all athletes uh, compete with themselves and with nobody else at the end of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure when you're, you line up in track and field, you're, you line up on that line, you've prepared to the level that you are at that moment. And the person next to me doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's, you know, Donovan Bailey, if it's Hussein Bolt, whoever it is. Like, I'm just going to run my race. And that's all mm-hmm. that matters, right? It's the same thing mm-hmm. in our sport. Uh, I can't control anybody else. Like I was saying before, I can only control myself. And my job as an athlete is to make sure that, you know, I'm at the best 
peak performance when I'm going into competition. So, right. you know, we're, we're doing everything just like, uh, uh, Jans and, and Madison are, are training on their own. We're, we're also training on our own and we're still trying to make sure that we're the best versions of ourselves when we go into these competitions. And although it is, is team-based and then, you know, our team has to compete against another team and it's a different qualifying system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we find out probably sooner than they do on whether we're going to go to the games or not. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're all just here to, to find out the best versions of, of us and, and to leave that legacy behind. Right. Like we're, right. that's, that's my opinion on, on that matter. Oh, sounds good. Charlie. Um, on that note, so every like April we have a selection camp, um, and then you, so you can be selected to the national team program. Um, and then we have a traveling roster. So each tournament will have kind of a selection of the athletes that will go to that tournament. So, mm-hmm. um, even if you were part of the team that helped qualify for the games, you might not necessarily be oh. part of the team that would go to Tokyo. There are like a few requirements for you to be an athlete to go to Tokyo. You would have had to go to a World Paravali sanctioned event prior to that. So that's that's very interesting. When you brought that up, I just sort of a question light bulb went off my head. So what is each of your respective games and sports? What's the path to the podium? You know, for anyone who's thinking of going into this path of the Paralympic life and the, the para-athletic life, what is your path individually in your sport? That, that you could sort of share with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Madison, did you want to go first? <laughs> we'll start with Madison. <laughs> okay, we'll get with Jolyn to go first. Let's see. Sure. <laughs> um, for myself, I was, I started playing volleyball in like grade seven and shortly after was diagnosed with bone cancer, which resulted in the amputation of my right leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years later, I started playing just regular regular standing volleyball um, on my high school team and my coach there were actually two amputees on the team and my coach contacted i know right (laughs) contacted volleyball (laughs) canada uh, to see if there was um, a version of the sport for someone with a physical impairment and sitting volleyball was just in its grassroots just starting in canada um, at that point so that was 12 ish years ago Wow. And yeah, so I'm like an original member. Um, <laughs> pioneer, if you will. Pioneer of this sport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for sitting volleyball, and now, like we, like I say, we have our selection camps every April. Um, people can come out, but we're still a very small program. We don't have a mm-hmm. lot of female sitting volleyball players come out to try the sport. So we're constantly trying to grow it and just grow the sport in Canada. Right. Not many people have heard of sitting volleyball. No, absolutely. So one of the things that that brought that question in my in my mind was that even though you participated or you helped the team win at the national level, that you may not be forwarded to the Tokyo team. How does that selection happen? So I guess if I'm that person that didn't get selected, it's like, but wait, I helped this team get going there. Right. That's a great question. <laughs> and <laughs> we have a large. Um, group of staff members that um evaluate and it okay. uh usually ends up coming to your time put in if you're um able to centralize between before a big tournament um right. and then just your performance at centralization and then they'll let you know and then derek what about you what uh, the, us, yeah, what was your path to the podium <clears throat> Oh man, for me. So yeah, like, like Joanne, I started playing volleyball when I was young. I started in, I think it was grade five. I shortly after that started playing club. Um, in high school, I, I coached, um, our junior team when I was a, a senior. I, I refereed. I, I was very involved in volleyball. And then, you know, my adult life happened, went to work, all that stuff. 2008, I was involved in a motorcycle accident that mainly affected my right leg. Uh, after a lot of physio and rehab and all that stuff, I decided that uh, I wanted to pursue sport. Uh, I was working with a rehab support worker at the time. His name is Jeremy Davies, really nice guy. And he started getting me more active and, and back out into the community and doing more stuff after um, my accident. I, I dealt, dealt with a lot of depression and feelings of inadequate, uh, inadequacy, feeling inadequate mm-hmm. at the time. And he 
started getting me out and about and doing more things. And uh, through the conversations we were having, he found out that I played a lot of volleyball and that was my passion growing up. So actually he reached out and found that there was a group in Toronto that practiced. This was um, late 2011. Mm-hmm. So uh, he decided one day that that was going to be our session. That we were going to go in our in their session between him and I, we were going to go and play some sitting volleyball. So we went down to Toronto uh, to to the facility where we're uh, we're training, and uh, yeah. I come in there, and uh, the coach is there at the time. Uh, his name is Ray Sewell, and I sit down on the floor and realize that you know as as similar as this game is to stand up, it's it's very different. It's a it's a much faster paced game, and you know we're very used to using our legs to run to the ball and then our hands to play it. Uh, the biggest difference in, in our sport is that we have to use our hands for both moving and playing the ball. And that was something that was difficult to grasp, but, you know, found it. And then uh, in 2012, there was a tryout. I ended up trying out in 2012 uh, in, in Toronto and, and was lucky enough to be named to the roster. And I've competed in uh, a few games. We had a qualifying tournament for the Paralympics in 2015 in China. I competed there internationally. Unfortunately, we didn't qualify. But uh, similar to Jolan, we have a, we have a roster that's uh, athletes that are named to the team. But there's not always just being named to the team doesn't mean they're going to be traveling to these tournaments. You know, depending on like Jolan said, how much training you're doing, your performance leading up to this tournament dictates mm-hmm. on whether the coaching staff decides to to, to bring you along uh, mm-hmm. or not. You know, we've had tournaments where uh, we've brought uh, nine players, and you know, we have to have six on the court at any given time. And if you're playing right. libero, that's seven. So we only have one or two guys on the bench um, and we've had other tournaments where we bring 12. So it's really merit-based. If you're showing the coaching staff that you're going to contribute and that uh, it's, it's valuable for them to bring you, then they'll bring you. And right. if you don't, then that's a, that's a tough decision that they have to make. I'm glad I don't right. have to make it to be honest. <laughs> you know? Right. Or answer to those questions that I just said, what about me? What are yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, not oh. my choice. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, Jens, for yourself. What is your path? Yeah, it's kind of weird because track and field was never appealing to me. I mean, I watched, you know, I, I watched the Olympics. Um, I'm a huge Winter Olympic guy. I live in Saskatchewan, right? Hockey, mm-hmm. A lot of Ryan snow. Get, I, I went to school with Ryan Getzlaff. He's the captain of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, right? So it was always winter sport, winter sport. And me being an athlete my whole life, so I started with my, my kind of my a- quick athletic career was hockey for a long time and then I started skateboarding I still keep active skateboarding I was actually uh I guess you can consider a pro-am skateboarder until I lost Mm -hmm. my leg um and then through like high school I was wrestling and then I got into jiu-jitsu in my early 20s and so like kind of a little aggressor you know a little fighter kid you know (laughs) jiu-jitsu kind of taught me that discipline to stay calm stay cool and and I lost my leg seven years ago now in a dirt bike accident. Uh, crazy prairie kid, you know, ripping around on a dirt bike, crashed, couple years surgeries, cut it off. They wanted to fuse it. It was actually my decision. No fusion, let, you know, below the knee amputation, which honestly, to me personally, is a paper cut compared to a lot of amputees. Um, I'd rather lose below the knee. I'm honestly, man, it's, it's a paper cut. Like, I don't even know. You know, I can do better than I could with two legs, like, you know, even trampoline backflips and stuff. Couldn't do that able-bodied, right? But uh, I think it was just like, hey, I want to try something out because I was, I still train jiu-jitsu. I still roll around with one leg, you know, like right. whip around and, and and I'm still the same, you know. I'm, I'm a, I've been a jiu-jitsu black belt for six years now. And I think at that time when I lost my first lost my leg, I'm like, man, I want to, I, I don't know why, but it was track and field. It was just like, I want to run. I want to utilize my disability. I want to show everyone that, you know, even though I, I, I'm, you know, I, I lost the limb, which again, it was a very minor amputation. I, I want to be able to do something with that. And Carla Nichols is the head of para uh, for team Canada and she lives in Regina too. And I, I've been her friend for a very long time. And we kind of mutually got a hold of each other again, reacquainted. And she's like, hey, let's try it out. And honestly, like the minute I threw on this crazy looking running prosthesis, I'm like, man, that it was almost an addiction. And that's because I love sport. I, you know, I have that natural athleticism. And all right. of a sudden I was good at it really quick. Like more, you know, that having that, that gift of having that natural athleticism. I don't, 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have to work as hard as somebody that, you know, and so within a year, I was like, I got second at nationals. And then, you know, it just went from there. And now, it, it, again, it's, it, it's that addiction of competition and sport. And it's that, right. that, that inch, you know, it's like, okay, I jumped. Um, I know that you said 610. I think my record now for Canada is 634. For, for long jump, wow. but it's like, okay, now I want to jump six, six or seven mm-hmm. meters. And I have done that in, at, at training camps. I've actually jumped seven, three at a training camp. Wow. It's a training camp. Not, you know, it's not a competition. Right. I understand, but it's that addiction that keeps me going. And mm-hmm. you know what? The, the, I always call myself the happy Gilmore of track and field. Like you guys can see me, I have face tattoos, you know, full head tattoo and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I make it fun for a lot of people and I open people up a little bit in the track. And now I'm so involved in, you know, Saskatchewan's track community. Everyone knows who I am in Saskatchewan. Again, there's only a million people here, but <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's, it's that, it, I, I, I think it was that the, the path was that addiction. I got on the track. I was, you know, decently good at it first. I kept training and practicing and training. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I'm at this level now and that at this, right. you know, I just kept climbing the ladder and now it's kind of in my blood and I'm the type of person athlete that once I start something, it's, yeah, I'll die doing it. I mean, there, you know, there, I'll be 90 years old. If I could still run the hundred meter at in three minutes, I'm still going to do it, you know? Right. Right. So it's that, yeah, that's kind of that, my story anyways. Sure. I, <laughs> no, I mean, the, yeah. So I just got a question. Uh, like how do you guys, so, with city volleyball, we play without prosthetics, uh, without prosthetic devices. We just sit on the floor. So for that reason, it's very inclusive. You don't have to buy expensive prosthetics. I've started playing wheelchair basketball. The chair costs $5,000 and an athlete has to supply that themselves for the most part, unless the team has sponsorship or whatever. So like, are you guys as athletes responsible for your own prosthetics to try to maximize your gains? Like, do you pay for it? Does your team supply it? Like, how does that work? Um, Maddie, do you want to go with this one or I can quickly answer my situation? I think we all have, I think the three of us have different situations on that. Yeah, so okay. I'll, I'll, Maddie, I'll share well, mine too, but you sure. know. I, I, I'm thinking about Maddie because I'm not sure everyone, just from listening to you guys, everyone's just, but I know that Maddie is a bilateral. So yeah. two legs gets expensive, right? So that's kind of why <laughs> yeah. I, mm-hmm. I brought her to, to, the, to the front line. So you go, Maddie. You're <laughs> up. Um, so I can get my sport legs covered through war amps, um, but mm-hmm. they're only covered uh, one per, like one pair per, I think, two or three years. Um, so if there's anywhere in tear or if one was to break before that three years ago, that would have mm-hmm. out of my pocket. Uh, knock on wood, it hasn't happened yet, and I've been mm-hmm. able to get them all covered. Um, but that's really good because even like just the liners that I wear on my legs, the pair costs twelve hundred dollars just for liners. right. Yeah. And for a pair of legs, like depending on also like how tall you are, how light or how heavy you are, that can really play with the price as well. So. I mean, my blades are around like 30 grand for a pair. So that would be a lot. I mean, with funding even, that would be a lot to come out of your own pocket. So I'm lucky enough that I qualify for it to be covered. Um, So that's how I... Yeah, I want to just add to Madison because I'm a bilateral amputee as well. Fabrication alone is about six grand for fabrication of the socket for those running blades. And mm-hmm. I also wear two running blades. And they're not even the fancy sprint blades that Madison <laughs> and Jans wear. Those are really sexy. I want to pair those. But those also are $15,000 a piece. So I, I got one for you. I got one for you if you want one. <laughs> you know, so it's like, but right. But is it the right category for me? And is it the right size? Is it the right weight and all that? Right. So I'm, I'm lucky in that I have funding for, as an athlete, to get mine through the Challenge Athlete Foundation. So Osrid has donated my pair of blades for me but again it the fabrication of that is still out of pocket for me and again one of those sockets could easily be three to you know three thousand dollars for one and i have two to to worry about so that's six grand right off the bat and jens how about yourself you have one of those sexy sprinter uh, ones too. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Oser cheetahs. Um, yeah. So I have got some enhanced funding through Athletics Canada, which is awesome. But mo- my equipment was, um, yeah, like fundraisers. Uh, I have a huge support uh, system at home here. And, you know, it, it's a lot of the equipment that I have has been through either sponsors or 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 fundraising right which i don't mm-hmm. you know but then it came to the point that it's like well i got three of them now i had a th- a category three a five and a seven i'm like well mm. i don't need all this you know so i actually originally i did a, a three and that was fundraised for me so which was super cool sask sask health mm-hmm. it's it's free but you get what i said so right. it's not the best. So I actually have to go to Van or sorry, Victoria sometimes to work with other people. And like Maddie said, one of my leg is about 13,000, 15,000 depends right. on the customization and, and the category and stuff like that. But yeah, I have got a little bit of enhanced funding through uh, athletics Canada. So they have helped me out uh, with some of the costs and Sask athletics has helped me out also. Um, and that's, you know, again, it, I'm very privileged to be in Saskatchewan and be at the level that I'm at because there is money out there for para-athletes in the province that doesn't, I don't want to say that doesn't go anywhere, but it kind of, it, it sits in in the air and you, you know, until, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm very fortunate to have the, the funding and stuff through our, uh, through our, provincial governing body and and fundraising right so basically yes it's it i have to pay for it and there was a little bit of enhanced funding but i you know my accident was stupidity so it wasn't you know i didn't get hit by a motorcycle or i wasn't in a motorcycle accident which i do have a harley davidson but okay (laughs) so but i'm scared now right yeah but but i know lots of friends of mine uh, i have a couple good friends that have been lost a leg Two motorcycle accidents too but yeah that's kind of where my 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 funding has came from anyways and that's the thing is that it's very different i think not only provincially then for every sport because to to derek's point he has to provide his own wheelchair for wheelchair basketball both you and joel and do you guys come up with any other funding or for your sport or how does that kind of work does the ova fund any of the sports that you guys do for um sitting volleyball so our sport I don't, we don't really get any funding. Uh, we haven't been getting any funding. So um, we get carding money for being a part of the team. Uh, myself, I choose to, to use that money to, to give back to the community. And I want to try to grow the sport. So I'll, I'll use my carding money and I'll go out and I'll buy equipment. I'll buy nets. I'll buy poles. I'll buy cards. I'll buy balls. And uh, over the years, I've, I've uh, gathered quite a, quite a, quite a, quite a large collection of, of equipment for volleyball. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for the, um, at this point, I'm not receiving any sort of funding from OVA to help uh, grow sport, sitting volleyball as a sport in, in the province. In the past, we have requested a grant to go and try to get court space from the OVA mm-hmm. and, and they have approved mm-hmm. us on that. So they have come and, and given us that opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, we squandered that opportunity, didn't make the best of it. But um, but yeah, like that's something that I want to do. That's that's um, a vision I have is to grow the sport on a provincial level, on and then a level of on Toronto, and then eventually, my hope is is nationally as well. You know, coming from from Germany, where uh, and like playing wheelchair basketball now in in Canada has opened my eyes to what para sport should be. Right, mm-hmm. wheelchair basketball, I can go and I can join a club team. I can go and practice every week and have a tournament once a month. I can go uh, to play in Europe, play wheelchair basketball, and get paid to play wheelchair basketball in Europe. There's not even a place for somebody to go and try sitting volleyball in Canada. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's no drop-ins. There's no leagues. There's, like, most, most people didn't know this sport existed before they started playing it. That's my story. Before I started playing sitting volleyball, had no clue it existed. None whatsoever. Didn't know that para I agree with you on that. was a version. And I'm sure, yeah, when we were talking, you didn't know about it until <laughs> nope. we were talking about it, right? It's like most people don't. And then they see the video and they're like, oh, this makes sense. And you tell somebody, oh, sitting volleyball. So like, are you guys sitting in a wheelchair? Like you're pushing around? Like, 
Are you playing on an eight foot net? Then I don't get the spike ever. Like this isn't going to be fun. Like these are all things that people think of, of what you mean when you say sitting volleyball. It's like, sitting volleyball. You know, real simple. I sit on the floor. It's a smaller court. It's a lower net. It's played at much much faster pace. But yeah, that's that's our biggest problem I find right now. With uh, you know, Jolan was saying we don't have enough female athletes coming into the program. We also don't have enough male athletes coming into the program. You know, in the U.S., they have a very good uh, connection with their military. And mm-hmm. a lot of the U.S. players are ex-military. You know, they went up overseas, got injured, came back. Right. And this is a part of the rehabilitation. And now they play on the U.S. sitting volleyball team. Like, unfortunately, that's not a connection that we have been able to make yet to try to uh, mm-hmm. use that as a resource of individuals that are highly motivated or usually in pretty good shape before they get injured. And I'm going to say highly athletic. But unfortunately, for some reason, we're not able to, to capture that base of people with disabilities to try to come and play parasports sometimes. And that boggles my mind. But Right. And Jolene, are you finding the same thing for the women's side? That's a lot to follow up on. Derek covered a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's good. Okay. I'm going to start where the initial question was funding, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Um, so provincially there's like not a ton, like Derek said, um, nationally, like we our carded athletes, all of us at kind of different levels, um, which means we get some money to help us train. Um, and then each, well, most provinces have um, some funding available as well. So in Ontario, we have Quest for Gold and same kind of thing, money to help you train. Um, and then as a team, like Volleyball Canada does um, online um, auctions every year. And we try to do like a little tournament or something like that, like um, when we centralize in Edmonton to try to get more locals to help with our program. Um, And then moving on to what you're saying about no one knowing about sitting volleyball. Right. (laughs) I'm like, how do I word this? Um, So I'm actually from Edmonton and when I moved to Ontario seven years ago we had quite a little group happening and people were starting to to know and we had every Sunday nights we had a a gym booked at the rehab hospital and we had a a solid group coming out Um, and then I moved here and a like small town outside of Ottawa like no one knows anything about Parasport Um, Mm -hmm. so I myself go into schools and try to teach them sitting volleyball and just educate them on physical impairments and, and other parasports as well. And then I head down to Toronto sometimes and work with Parasport Ontario. Ontario. There we go. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's great. Like there's lots of resources down there, but not so much in Ottawa area. So um, lots of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Now, Madison is the youngest of all of us here. Did you find that it was hard to find yourself the group to do Parasport with? Or was that sort of just because you're, you you were with the War Amps group that you were, you found out about Parasport right away? Because I think my experience anyway was mm-hmm. I had to search for it to find my, my sport. And then the challenges I had too was after I thought I'd found my sport is then I couldn't find a club that would help me get to train in my sport and get better at my sport or play with the same people that is in my sport. From your experience with being so young in the Warhams program, was that an easier transition for you to find the club and to find the sport that you wanted to do? Yeah, so um, for me, I didn't get involved in track until I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, I was, I was in competitive sport from the time I was like four or five years old. I was doing figure skating, horseback riding, uh, swimming, uh, dabbled a little bit in golf, um, but mm-hmm. I really didn't get involved in it um, in track until high school, and it was just something that was fun to do. Um, one of my best friends and I, we just decided to join the track team. Um, we went to a really, really small high school of about 350, 400 kids in the whole school, um, so no one got cut from any sports team <laughs> at all. Um, so we decided to try track and field, and at first when I started, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not running. You cannot catch me running laps. I'm not doing that. But I was so I started throwing the javelin and my coach uh, pulled me aside one day after a meet because I did 
horrible. I was the worst thrower ever. And he's like, you know, I really don't think this is your thing. (laughs) There's this um, para sprint category that we have for high schoolers in Ontario. So I think that might be a better fit. And I kind of knew about the Paralympics and stuff um, because of amputees I had seen like on TV at the Paralympics in the past, but it wasn't something that I had really thought much about. But then I started sprinting and I decided to give it a shot in high school. And then when I was at another meet um, with my school, I met another amputee. And so he told me about uh, London Western Track Club, which is a club that I'm a part of still today. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of from there, everything else just blossomed, I guess. And with my other sports that I was involved in, um, I was involved at a pretty high, like competitive level. But I wasn't, I wasn't the worst at the sport, but I also wasn't that good. I was just kind of in the middle and kind of average. So once I found track and field, I saw how well that I could do at it. And it was something that I could be more than average at. So that's mm-hmm. why I decided to stick with that and keep that going. Wow. That, that sounds like, you know, a total story of dedication with everybody's story, you know, sharing your story and how they got to the podium and, and the barriers and the challenges really of participating in the sports that we do. I think that's, you know, to take, somewhere and say these are the changes that needs to happen to improve in our sports to Derek and Jolin's point to bring more players in so that it's not a it's not a sport that just sort of starts and then dies down like we need mm-hmm. to continue with the sport and we to make the, the sport continue to to Derek's point earlier about finding sitting volleyball as a sport I didn't find out about it until much much later also and it was like well you know I also played volleyball but not mm-hmm. in that sort of level but at the same time, I had those questions in there. How did you play this? Meanwhile, I had been playing wheelchair basketball since I was 25. Yeah. And it, I have not seen a sitting volleyball sport ever played. And so to me, that's sort of weird in a way that I'm supposed to be in this sports facility that is supposed to be inclusive and it's supposed to be showing all the sports that I can do And if I was interested in, in athletics. And yet I was only cornered into wheelchair basketball and then that was kind of it. Meanwhile, after my amputation four years ago, then all of these fair sports are starting to open up to me for some reason and finding all these clubs and finding all these people that actually play these sports. And it's like, were we guys 25? You know, when I was 25, when I could still play all these sports, now I have joint problems. I'm an older guy. <laughs> and that was 15 years ago when I could have been playing sports. You know, I feel like there's not a, enough exposure or getting people to to come to the sport and I think that's still a challenge then to this day having experienced that back when I was 25 it's still a challenge is what you guys are describing to find those you know to find people to to play the game I, I do think it's maybe a little easier nowadays with like uh, the Paralympian search like TPAS or CSIO like runs that like mm-hmm. there was one uh, I believe a few months ago I don't remember exactly when it was so I think there's more opportunities for people to come out and and try a, ver- a variety of sports and, and see like maybe which one you kind of fit best into mm. but i find that maybe we need more information at the mm-hmm. rehabilitation level right where after injury you're now in the hospital like you're trying to figure out oh my god what's my life going to be from right. here on like you know if i saw a poster for a sitting volleyball program that runs on this day in this location i might go and try that out or wheelchair basketball or whatever and like providing that information to somebody to a patient that has just gone a traumatic uh, accident or incident in their life that's that's life-changing for them, I think, and, and showing them that there's a community of like individuals to themselves uh, might help people with the mental stress of, of dealing with such a situation and also help us with, you know, growing our community of, of parasport. Right. No, I, I've, um, one of my feedbacks throughout my rehab was a, a sports-themed or sports-focused rehab in that mm-hmm. don't give me just the four pounds to lift weights because that's a standard <laughs> for rehabbing me yeah. but give me like what actually matches my activity and my life mm-hmm. so that i can go back to whatever new normal i have after the surgery so i exactly. to your point derek i think that that's a great idea so let's flip the the conversation back to tokyo 
So if you were guys were leaving for Tokyo now, what would you be like? Would you be leaving weeks before, months before, or pretending you're in Tokyo now? And, and so would you have left Canada four weeks ago to acclimatize to the environment? Or what, was, what would that travel be like? I think a lot of that is uh, as, as uh, team-based athletes, that's not really in, in our hands and our control. I think that uh, usually we show up uh, when we were the last big uh, tournament that I guess we competed in. Uh, would have been the last chance qualifier before that would have been um sorry peru in in uh, in the summertime Mm -hmm. and uh when we were going to peru we showed up uh three or four days before the competition was about to start and Mm -hmm. then we were we were there we competed um during the time that we were there and then we left a day or two after competition so for for us we don't necessarily go there and acclimatize and, and all that stuff we just go compete and pretty much come home unless you set up uh, arrangements to stay after or come before on your own. Right. Madison, do you have the same experience? Um, no, not so much. Um, <laughs> for Peru, there wasn't really much of like a time difference or um, it wasn't super hot out. It was actually kind of colder when we were mm-hmm. there. There wasn't much we had to get used to over there. But um, when we went to the World Championships back in November, um, in Dubai, like that's a 10 hour difference. It's 45 degrees from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. So that was a lot more to get used to. So we were there for, I think, just over three weeks um, when we were there. And the competition wasn't until like that last week that we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so since our sport is completely outdoors, um, we right. generally have to go a lot earlier just to get used to whatever the time differences in the weather um so so if you were going to tokyo you would have left in july probably yeah yeah because <laughs> that's like a whole 18 hour difference isn't it or right? 13 yeah. hours or whatever so, it's total night and day right mm-hmm. uh joeline do you have the same experience as Dex or um for the most part but we have started implementing staging camps before mm-hmm. um the actual competition whether that be we all meet in toronto or vancouver wherever we're going to fly out from. Um, so we might train there for two or three days and then all fly together, or we might go to the, um, where the competition is and train for a few days. Um, so for Tokyo, for example, we had been invited to come and train there earlier, um, in August and then to stay until the competition. So. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. And Jen's the same for you. Yeah, same with like it would be the same as Maddie. Um, usually, it's like a week or two prior to uh, you know the big stage mm-hmm. compete, and no opening or closing ceremonies for us track athletes. And it's basically really, as as, yeah, I thought that would be something compete. you'd want to look forward to. Is really, yeah, that's I think that's what a lot of kids want. To me, right. that's not. I mean, that's not my cup of tea. Um, you know, I've been on you know the the big stage plenty of times with you know jiu-jitsu and other sports but mm-hmm. um yeah and after it's just you compete and they want to get you home as quick as possible wow what were you guys looking forward to the most you know being in tokyo any sort of fun off-camera sort of things that you could share that sort of pg that you've ever you know in places that you've competed with maybe like the you know the worlds are Pan Am games or, you know, again, Tokyo, if you, if you're going now, um, Jan said, you know, he's usually skips the parties, but any other sort of fun off camera parties that you could sort of talk about or no one's going to own up to one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I I personally, I'm not, I, I, uh, I, the novelty of, of training and travel or the novelty of traveling for me is long gone out the window. Like that was in my twenties. So now right. it's just like, I leave autopilot. I'm there for one task and one task only. And that's winning a medal. And that's all I concentrate on. And I'm gone home. I don't care who I talk to, who I <laughs> right. hang, hang out with, yeah. who I, I, I don't <laughs> want to communicate with anyone. I want to go there. I want to stay focused a hundred percent and get out of there. You know, that's right. me personally. 
And that's just because of my experiences that I've had in the past. Sport kind of wrecked traveling for me. Now, you know, now I get homesick. I leave 15 minutes into the airport. I miss three Siberian Huskies. I'm like, man, I miss my dogs. I'm like anxiety because I want to go home, right? So it's, it's right. weird. It's changed a lot for me since like, you know, nine or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Jolyn? I don't know. I look forward to the whole of it. I myself love traveling and love experiencing new places. And then just something about being part of Team Canada. Like it's one thing to go to uh, world championships where it's just sitting volleyball. But when we go to Pan Am Mm -hmm. Games or to the Paralympics and you get to meet and hear the stories of all the other athletes in all the other sports of Team Canada, it's just like something you can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Madison? Kind of to go off of that, um, just getting to connect with other people and like their stories could be the exact same as yours or very similar. Um, So it's really cool that you get to connect with all these people from around the world Mm -hmm. that are just like you. And obviously getting to compete at that high of level and being one of the best and getting to represent your country is a huge honor. And also another thing that's kind of, aside from the competition aspect, when we go to these events, most of the time, like Jan said, it's you're going there to compete and then you're, you're going home. So I think it would be really cool to experience like the different cultures and stuff at these different countries because a lot of times we don't get to. We're just there to train and there to compete and we don't really mm-hmm. get to go around a ton and do like sightseeing or get to try the different types of food when we're there. So I think that would have been like a really cool experience to do after we were done competing. So that's something I would have looked forward to as well. Cool. And Derek? Uh, so, uh, I find something similar where, you know, I find when I travel for sport, it's very uh, – goal-oriented right we're, we're there to compete we're there to to do our best and and hopefully win and yeah i find that when i travel for for competitions i don't really go and see the city too much i you know i go i train i come back to the hotel room i sleep i wake up i go do the same thing until it's uh you know game day if we have if we're lucky and we get to stick around for a couple of days after the fact like we did in peru then you know after the competition's done we can go and like explore the city for a day or two and like that's great, and I love that. And, and interacting with the other athletes is, is amazing, and, and hearing their stories and and how they came about. And, and uh, I think that it's very important to be able to just congregate, you know, with with other people and talk. I, I've learned so much about parasport from just doing that, from from sitting after a, t- a long tournament, you know, uh, and just just talking with guys, having having an adult beverage, and and just sharing war stories. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of skills that I've learned that I can attribute to specifically on court stuff from just having those conversations with, with athletes. And you'll never know the, the the one little point that you might pick up that might change your game so drastically. Right. You know, if I'd just gone and slept in my hotel room, I would have never learned that. Right. Right. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. You guys, it's, it sounds like it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun. And I think definitely worth to represent <laughs> your country on the international stage, like you guys say. So, mm-hmm. so just to close this all off. So what is next? For you guys, you know, with the slow reopening of the cities and the provinces, what's next for you guys moving forward? Jolyn, we'll start with you. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's very up in the air, but we're supposed to have a training camp in September, hopefully. And we train, like I said earlier, in Alberta. And it seems to be a little more open out west than it is here in Ontario. (laughs) Yep. And we don't know after that, we don't know what kind of, what competitions are being rescheduled or anything yet. So Mm -hmm. Madison. So right now just training with my team, kind of just doing like base training right now. And if all goes to plan, hopefully training again in the indoor season. And if we're lucky, we, we might get some meets in uh, during the fall time. Um, And again, like possibly, next winter during the indoor season as well and just focusing on training and getting that much better to lead up to Tokyo 2021 and then mm-hmm. after Tokyo 2021 just continuing in the sport for as long as my body will let me <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Awesome. Oh, Matt, Dennis? you got a long ways to go. <laughs> <laughs> many, many years. <laughs> many Sucks years. To be you, Maddie. <laughs> uh, God, Dennis, for you? Thing. Just, uh, I'm just going to train like normal. We actually have, because I'm an old guy, so there's a World Master Championships. They're supposed to host it in Toronto. And now they're doing it online. So we're actually, I'm going to get involved with that. It's kind of like a competition for me. You do it online or sorry, you do it through video, uh, record your, your record, whatever your long jump or your times for the hundred or whatever, submit it. So I'm actually going to get involved with that. I think it's going on starting right away here. So that will be like competition, you know, but I yeah. still want to hit a peak by uh, mid August. And then I'll probably take my, you know, typical six weeks off and yep. uh, get back into base training early October and hopefully continue. But again, like we've been open, Saskatchewan was one of the first provinces to open everything up. And like I said, like you come to this province, it's like nothing has changed. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, we're pretty relaxed. We don't even have a case in, in, in Regina right now. Right. So that's good. It's pretty relaxed here. Yeah. We're, we're doing good, yeah. you know, that's good. so I'm very proud of our, our province for, following you know like i said though we stay away from people anyway so it was easy <laughs> so okay. and derek for yourself the yeah, same um yeah we're uh supposed to have a we're supposed to have a camp coming up in september whether that is that goes ahead or not is is unclear with the way that uh the travel situation is hopefully mm-hmm. it does and then at that point you know the, the rescheduled um qualifying tournament will be our, our next thing uh, for me personally uh before this pandemic hit i was planning on going back to europe and playing wheelchair basketball for another year but uh right big wrench has been thrown into that at this point so yeah. um mm-hmm. you know i'm just gonna try to stay in toronto and find find the best way to train maybe try to get some sort of facility or warehouse and you know, maybe hope right. that where bv opens up again or something so i can get a court to train on right. but you know just just keep grinding that's the plan Sounds good. This is great, you guys. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Perhaps follow your training regimens if you post them. I know Jolan does and I know <laughs> Derek does. So where can they find you on social media? We'll start with you, Madison. On my Instagram, it's at MaddieWX2. So it's just M-A-D-L-E-W-X2. Um, I have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. So Instagram is definitely the way to go. Awesome. Jolan? Also an Instagram girl. It's Jolan <laughs> underscore Wong. Should I spell that? Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> so J-O-L-A-N underscore W-O-N-G. Um, I also have an athlete page on Facebook, but it's not nearly as tended to, but it's Jolan mm. sitting volleyball. Awesome. Derek? I'm also Instagram. Um, you can find me at Derek Simonowitz. Should I, should I spell that? Yeah, you should spell that. <laughs> <laughs> so at Derek, D-A-R-E-K, Simonowitz, S-Y-M-O-N-O-W-I-C-Z. Um, that's Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook too much. and don't really do Twitter and that stuff. So Instagram is the best place to find me. Awesome. And for you, Jens? Just like everyone, good old IG. Uh mm-hmm. J-A-N-Z-S-T-E-I-N, Jan Stein on Instagram. So great. So like I said, guys, I follow these guys and they have great content. So make sure that you guys follow. Thanks again, everybody. I look forward to seeing you all again in the games and the podium bringing the home bling, obviously, back to Canada. All the best in the games. All the best of the coming days. Many thanks to Madison, Jan, Stolen, and Derek. I'll post the links to the social media on the website, www.aristotledomingo.com, so you can follow them on their journey to Tokyo 2021. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments or show ideas, please connect with me on MPTO Show on Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you like and follow for updates to the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been the MPTO Show Podcast.